We're going to be continuing our Engage Bristol series, and that we're going to be talking about sharing with our city. This comes out of our three-year plan called Engage. Last year, we were engaging Jesus, uh, focusing and honing in on our relationship with God and how we interact with him and are transformed. This year, we're focusing on how we will engage Bristol, shaping how we see and also how we serve Bristol. And then next year, we're going to be emphasizing engaging the next generation and looking at what that means for us as a church. So if you're new with us, this is a great series for you to hear our heart for God, but also our heart for our city. So I'm going to, before we dive in, I'm going to say uh, a prayer. Father, please be with me as I pass on what I've studied and what I've learned. May we find you as we go into your word. And may you speak to us, and we will be changed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember that one time we went through a pandemic, and we started utilizing technology in ways that we really don't ever want to do again? I remember those times where we, uh, at points, would have technical difficulties. I have a video you may have, well, have already seen, but I want you to watch. Mr. Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Um, you might want to uh, uh, take, take We're a trying look. to, we're tr can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. It's not, I'm not a cat. I can I can see that. I I, I can see that. My favorite line. I, I'm here live. I'm not a cat. I was watching that alone, and I was cracking up. I couldn't even hold it back. It, that was my favorite. I'm not a cat. Sometimes, I think our life's like is like this though. We see ourselves with a filter. We see us in the filter side, and we have a hard time seeing our true identity behind that filter. If you're like me, how I view myself impacts my ability to live out of my true identity. The filter that I put and put on myself has me, uh, I have a hard time knowing who I am, who we are in Christ. We've been created to be in his image. And as we talk about engaging Bristol, we have to remember who we are in God. We are his sons and daughters. We are God's sons and daughters. Romans 8, 16 and 17, shed some light. And it says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. In addition to being God's children, we are also a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Thank you to Canaan and Melissa for reading uh, the scripture that we are going to look at here in just a second um, out, of, out of 1 Peter 2. And that says, just to repeat it one more time, as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, Rejected by humans, 
but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones, being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. As God's children, we are children of the king. We are royalty. And we, his church, are also God's spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifices, a holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, to be a priest, you had to be of the line and tribe of Levi. And so the Levite priests would offer sacrifices for the entire nation of Israel. And the Israelites would bring their sacrifice to them, and they would go into the temple and sacrifice and go before God, offering sacrifices uh, for different uh, types, whether it's a fellowship offering or a sin offering, on their behalf to God. But under the New Testament, we as Christians are not just a royal priesthood, but we are also his children, part of the royal family. And as such, we are his hands and feet in this world. And we are ministers of reconciliation. We are, have the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18 goes into this. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Engage Bristol is an overflow of what we believe as Christians. That God desires each and every person to be reconciled to himself. And having been reconciled, when we come to him, we now have a task to share that message of reconciliation. We love because God loved us first. And this is who God says we are. Our identity moves us to share. Who we are moves us to share with our city. Our identity moves us to share with our city. That's our why. If you don't know your why, why you do something, you probably won't do it. When we know our why, to share with our city, because God loved us. If we, if you and I truly believe that we are his children, that we are children of the king, sons and daughters, and a part of the royal priesthood, we can't be quiet. When we own that identity, we will not stop, and it will move us to share. And in carrying that message of reconciliation, we're gonna look at Paul's example of what that means for him and how he shared to the Thessalonians. So if you want to turn with me in your Bible, uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. And while you're turning there, I just want to give you a picture of the first century context. There's these guys called philosophers. We're familiar. We see the statues in the old, in the old time, first century, Greek, Athens. And philosophers in the first century, they had to support themselves. They were able to think, but they had to support themselves. They went out and spoke but if they didn't support themselves, 
They looked to their audiences for their support. And so they used words of flattery to appeal to their audience. And not just appeal to the audience, but their wallets. And so as we read, you'll see how Paul tries to disassociate himself with the philosophers of his day. So let's pick up in verse 1. It says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. In the face of strong opposition. So we need to, and what we're pulling us, we need to share the good news. We need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love my kids. They get in all kinds of trouble. They get hurt. They get bonked. And I am not above using chocolate as a reward, okay? I will just share that with you. So my, my youngest, Carice, and my oldest on the right, Eliana. So Carice, I was talking to one day, and I was bending down because she's short, and I had chocolate in my hand, and I, wanted to t- and I was trying to tell her, I said, look, you get a chocolate, okay? But your sister does not get chocolate right now, okay? So we're not going to tell her. Do you understand? Yes. Here you go. And then like five seconds later, Anya, I got chocolate. Good news is worth sharing. A gem dealer was walking a gem show in Tucson, Arizona. Go Wildcats. Um, and he came across this gem. And, and so it was mixed in. It wasn't in the fancy section where everything's high priced. It was mixed in with all the the stuff that was like 10 or 15 bucks. And he had some experience, and he'd been a dealer, and he picked it up. He's like, how much do you want for this? $15. I don't know if he had to say anything. And then the guy was like, you know what? It's not as pretty as the rest. You can take it for 10. So he took it. And then he went and revealed later that it was not just an old gem. It was a, let me just read this. It is a 1,905-carat natural star sapphire. The largest one before that was 800 carats lower, smaller. And some claim that it has millions of dollars worth of value. Now, add on inflation, and that ticks up just, not just a little, probably a lot higher. And you have to have a buyer. So millions of dollars of value, a rare, precious gem, and it was hidden among the rough. The good news is God sees each and every one of us like that gem. We are valuable and made in his image. And that was Paul's message. That was the good news that he brought to the Thessalonians. Let's pick up in verse 3. It says, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put a mask on to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Paul was not trying to please people of the world he shared the good news for God's approval. 
He shared the good news for God's approval. Author Herbert Swope in a leadership magazine wrote these words. He said, I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure. Try to please everyone. When we try to please everyone, there's there's no winning. When we share the good news of Jesus Christ out of our identity, we do it for the approval of God, not for men. The good news and truth come from God, not human emotion or intellect or even experience. They match, they match up with our experience, right? The truth of God matches up, but we look to God because he tests our hearts. He knows what is true. He knows and has shared the good news. In October of 1909, the city of Vancouver, which is in British Columbia, that's in Canada somewhere, cold, So they decided to throw down $4,000 for their first motorized ambulance. They wanted to bring the medical attention to their people when they needed it most. And so they took it on a test drive, and on that first test drive, they created their first patient. They hit a, you wouldn't believe it, Cindy, somebody from Ohio. They hit an Ohio person that was shopping. And it got not so fun because they ended up sending that person to the morgue. So they bought an ambulance to help people and with blunt force trauma sent them where nobody was looking to go that day. When we share the good news with our city, we start boldly, not bluntly. We start boldly, not bluntly. Let's not be the ambulance. We don't want to run people over when we're trying to help them. That is not the goal of the ambulance, but that was the reality in that position. We carried the message of reconciliation of God to our city, and we boldly bring hope and healing, and we don't want to confuse blunt and bold. Just because we're, we aren't trying to please men doesn't mean that we don't need to be, uh, doesn't mean that we need to be belligerent. Paul shows uh, attention that we keep And we're going to keep reading. In verse 6, the second part of 6, this is, As apostles of Christ, we could have been asserted our authority. Instead, we are are like young children among you, just as nursing mother cares for her children. This word, young children, man, that threw me for a loop. Because if you read in your Bible, it might say gentle. And so there's an association um, with this term for young children and prior, it was, it was uh, translated as gentle. I'm going to be honest, we're not going to go there today. So we're, I just want to give you that so if you see that and it's confusing to you. But this is what is right after that. And this is where we get the idea of being gentle. It's just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you because we loved you so much We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are are witnesses, and and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. Paul, and you see throughout there, Um, how Paul continues to disassociate himself 
with other philosophers uh, of the day. He could do, he did all he could not to be a burden as he shared the good news. Paul shows us to be gentle and supportive. He tells us to be bold, and he also tells us to be gentle and supportive. And how does he do that? By bringing the image of a mother and father to our minds. A bold spiritual influence in their lives, he thinks of parents. A mother caring for her infant. I don't know about you, but I can tell the difference between a newborn cry and a and a toddler cry for sure, because that's much more, sometimes much more piercing. But when I hear an uh, infant cry, and you, and some of you new parents may have already heard this from me, is that sometimes I just want to go over and I just want to hold them. I just want to snuggle up. It's like, you, just give me your kid for a few. I'll, I got you. There is something so sweet about an infant's cry because it's such a vulnerable state. They're so vulnerable, so needy, and only we as parents, can take care of them. They can't take care of themselves. Only, only a mother and father can, can do that. And so being gentle and a supportive parent, it's hard work. Let's be honest. I read an article, and it was titled this. Loving children takes a physical toll on parents. Surprise, surprise. Like, we just figured that out. Essentially, parents put the needs of themselves on the back burner while they take care of their kids. Gentle and supportive parents have physical turmoil when they're taking care of their kids. And that sounds an awful lot like Jesus. The cross set before him endured for me and for you. And Paul's example showed this too. He worked his tail off not to be a burden. Not to be a burden. It can be hard, and it can be joyful, just like hearing a newborn infant or giving chocolate and letting them go off and spread the good news. We get to enjoy the different seasons of life. And as, as spiritual parents, we can be gentle, we can be comforting, encouraging, and urging them to do good. Paul shows us that we can be bold while also being gentle and supportive. First. Thessalonians 2, 8, and verse 8 says, So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul shows us to share your life. Share your life. So rather than just telling you an abstract idea like a philosopher, I want to tell you a little bit about my story. I work in a church. Surprise. I spent a lot of time in the walls of this building, and I have to get out, one. I just, I, sometimes I have to get out, and I have to go places. Um, sometimes it's running errands, but I intentionally go out to coffee shops. And I know that that surprises a lot of you. I like coffee, guilty, but I do so more so to be intentional about spending time in our city. I've got to meet a lot of people, and I got to hear their stories. And so whether it's at work, a coffee shop, a grocery store, Home Depot's when I pick up a project, Chick-fil-A when I take the family out, whether it's at the middle school, the high school, Sam's Club, wherever, I try to intentionally interact with others and have consistency. And this isn't a huge task. It's simple. I try to keep it basic. 
First, I try to use their name in an interaction. Everybody has a name, and everybody can, uh, can, you can learn everybody's name. In a world where we are so used to overlapping, but yet having very impersonal interactions, it's really easy to overlook people and their, and their name given to them. So I try to be in a very personable in a very small way just by using their name in an interaction. And it's funny sometimes when, I, when they have a name tag on and I say their name, and some of them look, they, they look surprised. I then try to ask simple questions, just basic. How's your day going? You have a long shift in front of you? Is it gonna be a long day? Something to look forward to? Asking questions can create some small conversations, but it goes beyond the surface. It gets into their life and how they're doing. I also try not to keep it too long. I know that I can, can be long-winded. I know I can be long-winded. Uh, I, don't need, I don't need reminders. Um, but honestly, is they don't need, they don't need to like, try to push me on as I'm trying to be a blessing to them, right? Or trying to be a positive part of their day. It just can be more of a load on their part. And so I desire to be a positive part, but sometimes maybe not even noticeable. But day after day, interaction after interaction, I hope they remember that they are loved and that somebody cares for them. But we all do this. At some point in our, in our lives, and we have opportunities to get to know people and take it beyond the surface. We have opportunity then to tell our story, to tell your story. We hear about a woman telling her story when she meets Jesus at the well. In John 4, 28, she, uh, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Exaggerating? I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he just surprised her. Maybe he told her the things and said that she was married uh, however many times. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. She had a story, and she shared it. And it was about what he did, not what she did. We have opportunities to share who we are and what God is doing in our life. As a Christian, I can put on this face that everything's okay, everything's just fine, but people know it's not true. I mean, it is for us, but it's also not. Sometimes things are hard, and people find and appreciate that when you go past the veneer of I'm good, they actually like getting down a little bit deeper. So last fall, when people I had overlap with asked how things were going, I shared a lot of good things, how my kids were growing, what new coffee I found, how I burnt it a little bit too much, youth ministry activities, going to TCTC. And life can be hard. You guys know that. Corey's... I was practicing, I was tracking this dry, so I don't know what's the problem. I was smarter this service. I did bring a tissue. Corey's grandfather died, Papa. My dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Two weeks later, his mom died. 
done nothing. I shared my story. I invited people in to my personal, vulnerable, and imperfect story. And hopefully, and how I live each and every day, let them see that I was not without hope. But let them see that I still had joy. Other times I get to share how Jesus kept, us, kept me going. At other points, um, how my church lets a youth minister preach on a Sunday morning. I don't know why, but they do. It's a joke. I think he's pretty cool. Sometimes we overcomplicate sharing. We try to make it something bigger than it needs to be when God is just inviting us to tell our story and tell of the goodness and the difficulty and how he's in the midst of it. In sharing our story, we need to be aware and open. Aware and open. I go to places like Starbucks as part of my missionary route. Missionaries go to new countries, towns, and cities, and they have intentional routes that they take. They go to the same place, the same store, the same cashier, on the same day, or at the same time. And this helps, breathe, like, helps them have consistency. Have consistency and opportunity to build new relationships. God is working everywhere, and our part is just to be ready and aware of where he's moving. It's putting ourselves out there. It's getting to know people where they're at, hearing their stories, and when they invite us in, then we get to share ours as well. Opportunities are put in front of us every single day. It's just whether we see it. And when we don't see it, we don't take it. When you don't look at a pitch, you ain't batting 1,000. You're always going to be hitting zero. We need to be open. We need to be open to new relationships and where God's moving. We need to be open to where he is moving in those relationships and where he wants to take those relationships. If I want to invite others into the kingdom and into his family, I need to give them space and room to belong like a spiritual family, like our family. It's one of the most beautiful things about the church is that we get to experience the love of the church and the love of God in each other. Take my friend Freddie. We went to high school together. We played basketball. Me, not so well. Him, much better. We got to hang out, have late night conversations, want to drop them off at home. We got to go to a basketball tournament that I was, poor, poor team. And, but in that, God used our time together, and he made a decision to follow Jesus. And he, by God's grace, I don't know how it was used, but, he, but it was, and Freddie asked me to baptize him. Freddie is still a good friend, and he's a brother in the faith. My small group in Illinois, <clears throat> we are multiplying though to my heart that felt like a split, it's tough. It's tough because I knew what was right in multiplying, but it, it was hard. But little did I know that he was going to have Lizzie and Caleb in that small group. Remember, they got to share their love of board games. And so if you ever hear me nerding out about a board game, it's because of them. 
there are great spiritual friends that were encouraging through the good and the bad. Or Bill. Bill had been through some hard times. He was living out of his vehicle. He was in our church parking lot. And I'd go, I'd walk home 100 feet, 300, 200 feet away to the parsonage. And then I'd see Bill and we'd talk. And he would talk my ear off. Let me tell you what. But I love Bill. He was a mechanic for over 20 years. He taught me how to work on my car. He lived with me for a few months in the hot season and the hard season. Bill was the closest thing to family in Georgia that I've ever had. Bill passed away in February of 2020. He'd been on dialysis for eight years. And honestly, I, I thank Jesus that he didn't have to go through a pandemic like that. But I still miss, miss Bill. He's twice my age. He had a huge heart. And I loved him. If our lives are full to the brim, and we don't make room, we are never going to have beautiful new relationships. We are never going to be able to invite somebody into our lives. We're going to limit the potential and our ability to be disciple makers. God wants to use your life and your story to change and work in people's lives. So today, here's my question for you. What's your missionary I want to make it real simple. What's your missionary route? I don't say this to say that you are doing something wrong. I say this to say, where is God moving? Where does he want you? Are there routines and spaces in your life in which you are being purposeful and missional? What parts of your day or week could you be more in tune with how God's moving? How could you be more aware? What relationships are already there? What questions could you ask in a passing conversation to get to know them better? Maybe there's already somebody coming up, up in, in your brain that God's already trying to move in them and in you. How is he working? Are you open to how God may want to use you in their life? Are you willing and ready to open up and share about your personal story, your spiritual journey? Are you willing to make room in your life as God is leading you to? Because who we are moves us to share with our city. Who we are, our identity, moves us to share with our city. Imagine if we really held on to that, every one of us, what would happen? Imagine the new places we would go and conversations that would be sparked. Imagine the new relationships and friendships that would be had. How many more joyful interactions would there be? Have you, how many needs would be seen and met? Imagine all the cups of coffee of you iced tea drinkers or meals. How many of them would be shared? Imagine stories of belonging being created and stories of isolation ending. Church, you are children of the king. You are a royal priesthood. Your story and what God has done in your lives need to be heard. I'll end with this. Ephesians 2.10. For you, church, are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Father, thank you for calling us sons and daughters.
for your calling us your royal priesthood. May we be bold, yet gentle. May we share your love in our words and our actions. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.